Genius. Genius. Every time he's different. Yeah. So, let me, uh, let me just rewind a second. Okay, so as Dirk kindly said, I'm Ben Paul. I work for uh, Global Radio Creative Technologies along with Andy and Pete who are around the corner. Uh, we're part of the UK's largest commercial broadcaster. Uh, we try and do innovative things for Global Radio as well as working with our industry partners in the UK and across the world to ensure there's still a place for radio in our ever-changing world so we don't fall behind with technologies. I'm here to talk to you about the experiences we've had recently in the UK radio industry with a collaborative project, something you may be familiar with, and I know it's been mentioned quite a few times already, although in German, so I wasn't quite sure of the context of it, uh, called UK Radio Player. Not so much the specifics of the project itself, but more in the collaborative nature of it. And then going on to discuss another collaborative project, Radio DNS, which again, Andy touched upon in the last presentation. So, UK Radio Player. The original purpose of this project was to provide a common platform for listeners to listen to stations on their desktop machine. But what were the motivations of this? Why did we do this? So you can see a few screenshots there of the horrible online players used to have. Um, they're quite historic, although not that historic in some cases. Um, some of the UK's larger radio stations are represented there, so you'll see a couple of global radio ones at the top, uh, BBC and a few other commercial broadcasters. So all of these were launched from somewhere on the station website, and somewhere is probably the key word here, and all provide a different take on what the listener will see. So what was actually wrong with this? What was the problem? Well, every online player was distinct. They had different controls, different layout, so the user interface was something of a learning exercise to the listener. Um, another issue was that different broadcasters used different codecs. Uh, listeners sometimes had to go through a process of checking what was supported on the machine, all of which was a bit of a chore. Uh, telling a listener they couldn't listen to your station for whatever reason was one good way of losing a listener. And why should a listener have multiple codecs on their machine they don't need for any other purposes? So how did this come about? Well, it was largely a function of the history of online players. Oops, sorry, skipping ahead there. So it's largely a function of history of online players, with different broadcasters having different ideas about what it should be for, heading in different directions, different strategic objectives. So let's go through a short history of online players in the UK, uh, rewind a little bit. So in 1995, the BBC became the first major broadcaster, certainly in the UK, to start experimenting with online content. 1996, Virgin Radio, who are now called Absolute Radio, were the first to do 24-7 online broadcasting is very innovative in those days. Uh, again, 1999, Virgin Radio, the first to provide online, line, online now playing information, uh, which is still a challenge for some people today, I know very well. Uh, 2002, the BBC Radio Player. So they seek to standardise their own services underneath their own portal. Uh, and two years later, they started to provide podcasts. Again, the first UK broadcaster to provide podcasts. In 2006, uh, the radio industry decided that maybe it wasn't a good idea to have all these different players around, so they had their first attempt at providing an, uh, an online or, uh, unified player. Um, unfortunately, that didn't actually go anywhere, and the project was ditched due to various reasons. I think most people say that the reason that that happened was because it wasn't ambitious enough, didn't try and do enough. So, eventually a, pro a project was formed in 2009 to see if there was a way in which all the online players could be brought closer together to provide a standard interface. Um, and there you see a few of the initial partners. Uh, there are a mix of public and commercial broadcasters and industry bodies. 
he started the UK Ready Player project, which formed a not-for-profit company, limited company, called UK Ready Player Limited. Um, so this took two years to release their first version in 2011. So here we are now. Minus effects. Some of the players that we have. Um, it's a bit of a leap forward, as you can see. Um, you may recognise some of the stations there. Uh, you can see the commonality, that's the important thing, the commonality between the interfaces. You have a common user interface there, the controls are at the top, the custom web view is at the bottom. Now when I say custom web view, what I mean is that the only real thing that UK Radio Bear defines, defines is the controls at the top. So the stop button, the, uh, the, the navigation, the preset button underneath and the volume controls. The whole bit underneath, which is a set size, is actually defined by the radio station. So you can see here that different radio stations have chosen to do different things. For instance, my own company, Capital FM there, they choose to uh, show visual slides at the top and have some advertising down the bottom so you can actually sell that commercially. The BBC can't quite see it there. Um, they trail extra shows and podcasts on their shows, for instance. Um, other stations don't, tend to, don't show much at all, but it's up to them what they show. So it's a common size as well, and it also gives you the ability to integrate searching and navigation between stations easily. So you can see, uh, again, in the common controls on the top right-hand side, there's a search box. And that search box isn't about searching just for things inside that station, it's for searching for things across the whole of the stations that are in Ready Player. So the idea is you can find any content you like across any stations. So it's a slightly weird concept for some stations to think, well, why should I drive people to other stations? but I'll explain in a bit more time. So searching and presets. It's a key function, I think, and benefit of UK Radio Player. Um, it's where the added value of UK Radio Player exists, and it's why we have the metadata platform, which I'll talk about in just a second. Um, it's a common player that lets the listener find the radio content they want, they want across all stations. So the key here is that the broadcaster sends regular program and event information to a central collator that UK Radio Player runs. It ingests and index that data, and then makes that available to each interface. Uh, any service information is pre-provisioned, so that doesn't need to be sent. The search results are centrally run, so there's like a web service that UK Ready Player runs. The interface speaks back to that to retrieve search results. So I think I can show you a short demo if I've got any Wi-Fi. And I can find a popular musical act. I usually do Rihanna because it comes up at one of our stations. So, let me just grab that over and try and navigate in that way. So, here's Capital Fan in London, um, which I'm assured is London's number one hit music station. So if we click on the listen button at the top, you'll see that it pops up the UK Ready Player console. I say the same thing twice, I'm when I a short advert, which we'll skip. You get more. So here's Capital Fan's UK Ready Player console. Say I feel like I want to listen to um, Rihanna, for instance. Let me type in Rihanna here. And then you go out and search all the UK Ready Player metadata to see where the keyword Rihanna comes from. Um, somewhat disappointingly, one of my stations is at the top, but that happens. So the idea is that it prioritises live content. So if one of the stations indicates that it's, that it's playing Rihanna at any one time, that will appear at the top of the search results. Um, if we go down to Choice FM, for instance, uh, one of the show descriptions of a show that was broadcast 16 hour ago, hours ago, because it handles on-demand content as well, 
had Rihanna in its synopsis. So it thinks, well, that piece of content is applicable to the listener. So pointing towards there. Okay, so we're going to go to Okay. So that's a short demo, anyway. So the search algorithm, again, will focus on the relevant content happening right now. Um, it can also pick up simple location keywords to try and find more locally appropriate content. So, for instance, if I put in Rihanna Berlin, for instance, if such a thing existed, um, it will prioritise local stations, so it knows where stations are. That's all part of the service pre-provisioning. Um, the idea is that, of course, local radio may be more important to listeners. You try and drive them towards local listening. The key thing is that listeners taking to the station playing things they want to hear, and it could aid in discovering new stations. So if you're a broadcaster, for instance, you're benefiting being on such a sort of collaborative system is that you can get new listeners. So that's a short view of the sort of central collector. So there's the mantra that maybe some people hear quite often. I put a trademark in because I want to make my millions. Um, <laughs> it's a green technology compete on content. And it's, it's, a very, it's a very useful way of summarizing the whole collaborative ecosystem that radio needs to partake in. Because if we put most of our energy into competing on technology, we confuse and fragment our listeners. Only if we agree on the technology base and compete on the actual content can we benefit the listeners and grow total radio listening. And radio is about content. We shouldn't really be fighting on the technology base. We should be creating brand new things for our listeners. We should highlight the value of the radio proposition and what can be built around the relationships between a radio station and its listeners. So agreeing on ways to work together with new technology benefits the entire radio industry keeps radio relevant to our listeners, and that's very important you know, when we compare it to other online listening, other jukebox-type things like iTunes and Spotify and all that sort of stuff. So, here's some things I didn't... So, good question. What took us so long? Um, it took two years to develop the system and make it live from 2009 to 2011. Well, collaborating takes time. It's partly technical, um, mostly non-technical. Uh, but essentially what was being done had not been done in that form before, anywhere in the world, to the best of my knowledge. In terms of the technical, much work had to be, re to be done to rework partner implementations and accommodating different browsers. Uh, the metadata standards that each partner would transmit their data in also needed to be defined. Uh, that was a long process that I was involved in. Uh, we decided that one of the best places to start was the Etsy standard for DAB EPG, which is DAB EPG XML, if you want to use all the acronyms. Uh, there are a number of good reasons for starting from a known quantity. Um, had some good tools around producing it, uh, people knew how to use it, um, and frankly it was a pretty good and simple specification for describing scheduled data and service information for radio. Um, had some challenges, but I'll probably mention that a bit later on. Building and tuning the search engine was also a complex task. Uh, I kind of liken it to a bit like all websites getting together and working out how Google algorithms should work. Obviously people wanted to work in different ways that benefit them. So. A way had to be found to ensure that the search algorithm was fair and equal and equitable to all broadcasters in terms of technology. Um, however, the idea was always there and should always be there that broadcasters are rewarded for the accuracy, timeliness and depth of their metadata. So that's the competing on content part. We agree on the format, but we all compete on what we send and the accuracy. So uh, obviously, finally, most importantly, we had extensive user testing because there's no point producing a system that listeners don't want or don't like. So, where are we now? Um, UKRP launched in 2011, as I said, with 157 stations. Uh, we're currently running with 353 live stations. Uh, there's also a large range of on-demand content. 
um, that people can use. Uh, so this has helped drive a 43% increase year on year for internet radio listening in the UK, uh, which is a massive increase. Our listeners want to be able to listen to our stations in different ways, and this has to be one way to enable them to do that. It's not the only way, but it's one way. So, we've seen how it works with desktop browsers. Um, what about other platforms? Obviously, people use other platforms these days. Uh, the UKRP project has also released mobile apps using the same concept to provide a single player for all participating stations. This means that stations needing a simple mobile player need not create their own. And any existing data they supply is already deployed and ready for mobile listening. So once you're on UKRP, you're available on mobile apps as well. Um, the important thing is it doesn't stop broadcasters creating their own enhanced mobile apps, and a lot of broadcasters still do, uh, including most of the original UKRP partners and my own company, Global Radio. Um, so I'd like to show you now a short video on a prototype tabletop device created for UK Radio Player Project. Uh, some of you may have seen before, but I just thought I'd show it. This implemented some user interface concepts that we're going to be seeing a lot more in the future. Um, and big thanks to Mike Hill at UKRP for making this. I'll just flick over to VLC quickly. Hopefully it won't start playing in some Lake and Palmer. Children in Need on BBC Radio 2 on a nice strong FM signal in London. If I start to interact with the radio and start to scroll the station list, I can see program information coming in for all the shows here. If I choose a station that's not in London, except in Manchester, it tries the FM signal, obviously doesn't find it, and then pulls the station in over the internet. To the right there, it pulls in the station information automatically. I scroll down the list to a station I know is on FM level, Absolute Radio. Here we are with a nice strong FM signal, and it pulls in automatically those nice big slideshow visuals over the internet. Now, because we're on a connected radio, we can do a search in the search box here. We can also scroll the station list. Nice big logos for each of the stations. Music straight into the online stream, a digital radio station not on FM in London, pulls in the station information. Now, there's one more thing I want to show you here. If I scroll down to the bottom of this station list, you'll see there's a preset. It's not a station, it's a program. It says Arches. Now, that will always give me the latest version of that program, in this case, the Arches. Okay, 
Sorry about the screensaver there. So, um, thanks to Mike for that and the, the use of his lovely hands. Um, so, you can see there that the most interesting thing for me is not the hardware really, but it rather demonstrates how a common technology platform allows us to do some interesting and non-traditional things. Um, on the concept device, the navigation was absolutely centred around stations uh, rather than the bearer. So the listener didn't, know how, didn't need to worry about whether the station was available over IP or FM or IP. Um, the device also performs service following, switching between FM and IP, listening depending on reception strength. So it's very much similar to the device that uh, was shown in the last session. So, UK Radio Player is one way that UK broadcasters have been collaborating, and uh, it may be specific to the UK. The same concept has been adopted in some other countries, but the exact same model isn't always applicable elsewhere. So what else is available? Um, so, as was mentioned previously, another collaborative project I've been involved in is Radio PG, uh, which is a standard for service and programme information, um, and I'm the application team leader. Uh, there's an open group, for, open group for discussion and development of the specification that anyone can see and submit feedback. Uh, no changes are made without a period of review by the group, and is only proceeded on when there is a lack of sustained objection. This way, a chance for all opinions is given. Whilst uh, this is currently guided under the auspices of the Radio DNS project, um, it has also recently been agreed by the World DNB Hybrid Radio Task Force that it be recommended as a superset Etsy specification for EPG over all radio platforms. Uh, so it could be used in many different places in the future. Uh, this follows on from a collaboration between Radio PG and IMDA, or the Internet Media Device Alliance, that merged some additional functionality from IMDA into the Radio PG specification to form, to form the basis of the combined hybrid radio and EPG specification. So you can see that different organisations are pulling together to agree on a common technology platform for the whole world to use. So some of the experiences of working on Ryuko Radio Player have helped inform the work which then happened with Radio PG. Both specifications started from the same base, which is the XCT and EPG specification. Um, and while they're all largely the same in terms of their data types, there are some important differences in the document structures and defined behaviours. Uh, for example, a short contrast here, UKRP is a centrally plated system. Um, it enables the broadcaster to specify a web view for desktop listening and specific IP streams for mobile listening. UKRP also provides search functionality to broadcaster players and some mobile apps. Uh, Radio PG is slightly different, has no central point of ingestion, um, because Radio DNS is supposed to be run as a very, very light organisation, doesn't really provide much rather than the initial lookup. The broadcaster may make their service and programme information available to all to form a public API via some XML documents. The information also covers multiple bearers, so as mentioned before, IP, FM, DB, DB, HD radio, another format, with more bearers to be uh, added in the future, hopefully DVB if we work out a way to do that. As a, one of the most interesting things for me, certainly recently, and it's, it's interesting how the focus shifts, is that linking out to data has become very important from Radio EPG. Um, so traditional document formats usually linked just out to the home page of the station, should we say. But I think Radio EPG will be more used as a, a, a jumping point for linking out to different specifications. So uh, radio interactive, RSS feeds, um, external identities and aggregators like uh, TuneIn, for example, is one aggregator that you could possibly link out to, or UK Ready Player indeed. So let's just have a quick look to see how the data flows in the Radio EPG. Uh, the broadcaster or a provider working on their behalf will make available the Radio EPG information for anyone to ingest. So there's no central data point, it's the broadcaster remaining in control of their own data. 
Um, it could be an aggregator who then make this data available to their own apps. That's up to them. Devices can use the information directly, so tabletop radios, mobile devices, connected TVs, even car entertainment systems, or just people doing cool stuff, which I obviously struggled to find some pictures for. Um, collaboration and radio PG isn't just a thing that happens between broadcasters. We work together with the aggregators, with the device manufacturers, and the wider community. So they're all part of the ecosystem, and they are all equally important to us. So we talked a bit about the history of UK Radio Player, why collaborative approaches really helps us. Uh, I mentioned Radio PG, other cross-industry collaborations, uh, but I'd like to leave you with some important things that I think I, well, I've certainly learned over the course of these projects. Open collaboration is a good thing, generally, and that also means working with third-party service aggregators and service providers. The thing that has to be kept in mind is be where your listeners are. Having open platforms, APIs, publishing your schedules in a common format will help. If you open up your data, you may find yourself appearing in places you didn't expect. Having that open data in a common agreed format helps that happen quicker and more widely. Secondly, always be in control of your own metadata. Um, a third party, in a worst case, may choose to promote your competitors in your place or sell advertising around your content or alter your brand in some way, over which you have little control. Uh, they may seem contradictory, but they're really not. Um, in fact, collaboration on defining open platforms can help to set some ground rules on acceptable usage. For example, one of the things we imported from INDA to Radio PG was the ability for a broadcaster to set terms and conditions on metadata. Uh, while this doesn't prevent misuse of data, it does at least set out expectations, and working as part of a larger group gives you more influence to actually change that. So, thanks for listening. Um, as mentioned before, we're around most of the day. Uh, we're here to help you get involved with Radio PG, give you some advice, how to set up things. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you. Um, bam. We have to, maybe we have to point out, because we all ask ourselves, how could we find uh, a way to form a German radio player? Um, it seems to be a little bit easier in the UK because the number of members for this collaborative project is a little lower than in Germany, isn't it? Um, yes, I guess the number of broadcasters, the larger broadcasters is lower than Germany, so there's less people to talk to, I guess, or argue with. Um, so that helps, but I don't, think, I don't think it precludes, I think it just takes an open mind to want to work together. I know that um, the Radio Interactive Project is one example of people working together, and all these technologies are complementary, it's just getting getting the reasons to work together and getting those conversations going and make these things happen, really. What were the, or to, to whom were you talking? To the CEOs, to the technical guys, to the program directors? What were the first contact you had into the other stations? To the sales guys, whatever? Well, I think it started probably at the CEO levels or maybe slightly below um, people like Nick Pigot, my boss. Um, we have organisations in the UK for instance, the radio centre, which looks after commercial radio. We have the BEC, a large public broadcaster. Um, there's, there was a desire to work together, so I think the CEOs took it upon themselves to really drive this through, and then that then filtered down to the rest of the organisation. What are the first obstacles you have to remove? Like, oh, if we do it with you together, there's a competition between us, so it's hard for us to cooperate, or wasn't the problem? Um, I don't think it was really a problem, really. I mean, obviously, the whole concept of uh, station discovery, moving between stations, is an interesting one to sell to people. Um, but I think as long as it's non-discriminatory, as long as it's open, it's transparent how it works, then different stations can work to getting their own content.
content out there, there are metadata. And really, if you lose one listener for one reason, you might get ten back for another reason. It just relies on you actually having good content out there to really draw them in. And that applies to the audio content in your radio as well as the metadata and digital side of things. Um, just to ask for the future, what's on the roadmap? What are you doing next? Uh, well, I talked a little bit about um, further standardisation. So it's obviously in the radio industry's interest to have less different ways of doing the same thing, one, one, a small number of simple ways of doing things. So that, that brings in the conversations that I've been having with INTA. It brings in the work that we've been doing with XC for global standardization of the Radio VG standard. Um, again, working with other people to link up the different specifications, because this isn't just one thing to rule them all, it's just a place to start a journey of discovering content and metadata. Um, you told uh, about the way for getting here, How long was it indeed? So to get to this stage here? Yes. Um, I, well, I mean, I think I've probably been working on something in this form for at least the last 10 years. It starts at a point where you need to make sure, as a, as a broadcast, you need to make sure you've got your metadata, then um, finding compromise points that you can have with other partners in the radio industry to see where you can share that and compete on content. Especially uh, concerning the UK radio player, um, are there Three developers working on this standard or these uh, applications, or do you have a group formed out of uh, the other stations who are contributing for this, or how does it work? Yeah, it's, it's a not-for-profit company, and uh, I believe the way it's arranged is that there's a number of partners that formed it in the first place, and they're the ones that the technical discussions are involved in. So it's not it's not as open maybe as the radio DNS group of things. It's it's more of a closed it's more of a closed set of technologies, but. Um, I think as long as you're an Ofcom licensed company, for instance, you can, in the UK, that's our, that's our regulatory body, you can participate in the UK Radio Player project and have your station out there. Okay. Any questions? Yeah, one question. Radio Player, they announced to the people on Radio Player that it's going to have quite a significant update in the next few months or so. Version 3, I think, isn't it? Can you just let us know some of the extra features and stuff that's coming up? Uh, to be honest with you, I don't know the extra features. I'm not necessarily involved in the front-end control stuff. I didn't really deal with the back-end stuff, but um, I think watch this space. Uh, you, you're involved in that, aren't you, I suspect? Well, we're keen. Yeah, I did a copy and paste on that this morning. Getting <laughs> um, a bit in, into the future, like, um, I, I read of... Uh, TAL uh, thingy for for uh, um, for smart TVs coming from the BBC, so an open uh, uh, television application layer, TAL, mm. has a nice dock as its uh, icon. But um, when is, is UK Radio Player coming to televisions? And how is UK Radio Player coming to televisions? It's another platform. Um, I would imagine. I think that they're certainly interested in getting on connected TVs, but the the whole world of getting things working on a range of connected TVs is quite difficult. Um, we've dabbled with putting radio services on there before, but it's the actual s support between different TVs is quite varied. So I guess that's where the BBC's abstract layer comes on top of it. Yeah. I think that sort of, having a common API across TVs is the key to that, I think, that may 